You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us today as we jump into our series on the book of Acts. We'll see the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the followers of Jesus through obstacles, growth, miracles, and joy. The book of Acts is not only the story of those early disciples, it's our story too, a story to be continued. So get ready, God is on the move. All right, good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? You love him? Super excited, big shout out to all of our locations, Lakeville, Maple Grove, Elk River, Spring Lake Park, Lake, whatever, Kitchen, whatever, wherever you are joining the Emmanuel family, we get together today. Uh, It's great to serve Jesus, study his word. We're in this series called The Book of Acts, To Be Continued. The title of today's message is this, How It's Going. Now, last week was How It Started. And uh, this week is how it's going. Just a little recap from week number one. We're going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. And we went through chapters one and two in week number one, where we looked at really the birth of the church. And of course, that whole chap, those two chapters are rooted out of the Old Testament and New Testament stories. There's a backstory to the story that we see in the book of Acts. The author Luke um, also... Um, authored the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So this is part two of a bigger, broader story. What we're encouraging you to do throughout the summer, we know that people are going to have a lot of different vacation plans, uh, travel plans, and those kind of things. Stay connected to what God is doing in your Emmanuel family, and you can still join online. You can read during the week and catch up. This week, we're going to go through chapters three through five. Last week was all about the birth of the church, this big moment where the Holy Spirit shows up, which is the culmination of all the previews of the prophecies of the Old Testament to this moment. And it was a powerful moment. The church begins. Peter speaks to the crowd. But this week is going to be about what happens after the big event, what happens on Monday. And in parallel, you know, in the church world, we talk about what happens in church on Sunday. But it's really about what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, through the rest of your week. And uh, considering for you and I that it's not just about one moment. You know, we tend to kind of build ourselves up towards a big moment. Uh, Couples will prepare for a wedding, not necessarily a marriage. And I remember when I would do, over the years, I've done many different premarital counseling things that all the planning that goes into a wedding and all the stress and all the dollars and all the the effort into it and then it's over in one day but it's not just about the wedding how many know it's about the marriage but even to you know during this time of year we've got uh, grad parties going on and students are graduating and people are hosting parties and it's not just about the graduation moment it's also about what happens next a few years ago, we did a series called Thank God It's Monday, and uh, looking at what, how do you take whatever God is doing inside the church, how do you get it out there? In fact, the question that I've got to you, for you today is this, how does what happens in here go out there? How does what happens in here go out there? Say that with me. How does what happens in here go out there? That's the question of the day, and we're going to start with chapter 3 of Acts, picking up from where we left off last week. Chapter 3 of Acts, if you got your paper Bibles, open them up. If you got your electronic versions, open that up, and then some of you are on our Emmanuel MN app. We also have the text in there as well. Verse 1, chapter 3, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part 
in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Let me give you five things of how in here goes out there that we can see in chapters especially three and four today. It says in verse one here, and it starts with a regular rhythm of prayer, and you'll see it in verse one. It starts with a regular rhythm of prayer. Verse one, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Now, this is a detail that Luke puts in there that it's kind of a regular rhythm of a connection with God, of prayer. It's the three o'clock, might as well have said it's the 11 o'clock service at, at Emmanuel. And they were going to the regular rhythm of connection with God. You know, I think this is a big deal that I used to not have to say it, but now we have to just say, hey, it's a good idea that you actually go to church regularly. Uh, there, there's, there's value and a rhythm to do that, that. You know, by human nature, we tend to uh, lose our good rhythms and, and, and go back to our base rhythms, <laughs> our sinful nature rhythms, if you will. Uh, when it comes to eating, for example, um, there have been different points in my life where I've focused in with great discipline at eating the right things and saying no to the things I shouldn't be eating. And uh, when I'm doing it, I feel really good. I feel good about myself, and there's results. But how many know gravity kicks in if I don't keep that discipline? Now, all of a sudden, I'm just eating whatever comes my way. And how many know you, you can stress eat, emotional eating? You don't even realize it. You're like, man, I'll just have three or four of those. <laughs> and before you know it, the result is there. So it requires actually a discipline, a commitment to a regular connection to doing the right thing. With prayer, you see that Peter and John were just doing what they always do. They're just going to the regular prayer time. It didn't mean that there was something spectacular happened. They didn't have a, like a special guest coming or something. It was just, no, this is what we do. I would say this to you, those of you, especially if you're a parent, Listen, this is a really critical thing for you to do to set a rhythm for your kids for a lifetime. Scripture says that, you know, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. If you can learn to have a regular commitment to that, man, it will go a long ways. And what happens when we gather together? Yes, we get to meet each other, but we come here to meet with God. Not just listen to a guy yell on a platform. We come here to meet with God. There's a rhythm to that. And there's a, 
There's a public rhythm, a together rhythm. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there with you. When you pray, there's something powerful happens when you pray with other believers. And even when we sing songs, we're not just singing songs. It's not like holy karaoke. Right? It's just, that's not what it is. It's actually we're praying to God. We're connecting with God. That's what we come to do. If you have a regular rhythm of it, it really helps the rest of your week. You know God is with you the rest of the week. But if that rhythm is broken and now it's been three weeks since, now it's been four weeks since, and now the rhythm is broken, it's important to keep a regular rhythm of connection to God. This is just a base level on a once a week. I think on a daily level, we need to pray every day. It's a good thing to wake up and go, good morning, Lord. Even when you don't feel like it. You look at your hair explosion in the mirror. Oh, Lord, help me. But good morning. Start talking to him. You know, there's something about in the scriptures that talks about how we are to take every thought captive. That means throughout a day, we can talk to the Lord. When we're bothered, when we're in anxiety, whatever we're walking through, we can actually talk to the Lord about that. Don't just leave it in your head. And don't think it's going to get fixed by just calling somebody else and telling them. How many, no, you can call the Lord. Come on. So they're in a regular rhythm. So if it's going to go out there and it starts in here, then you've got to have a regular rhythm of prayer. And God wants to hear your prayer, not just Pastor Nate's. He wants to hear your prayer, not just the super spiritual people. Yes, you that thinks that you've done too many bad things. Did you know God is leaning into his kids and he wants to hear you? Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to hear your voice. How in here goes out there? Secondly, realize God's stuff happens in your path of travel. God's stuff happens in your path of travel. Peter and John had a normal path of travel, a route that they took to get to prayer. And you have a normal daily path of travel for wherever you're going. Think about this with work and ordinary life stuff. You get in your car, you drive somewhere. Uh, you go grocery shopping or uh, you sit down and you're in your kitchen and you're, you're texting or whatever it is that you're going through. You go through a normal and then an evening comes and you've got to go do sports Kids stuff, and if you're in, how many have kids in sports or grandkids in sports? Okay, or this summertime, you're like sitting on another sideline, right? And that's, that's kind of the way it is. But then we also have work aspects of it where we go into our job and we're connected to, to work stuff, and, and maybe there's a digital aspect to that. We have digital paths of travel even if we don't go anywhere. We get online and we Zoom with people and we're connecting with people or, or we're sitting down and gaming. I know that none of you all game at night. No, stats say that there's a lot of gamers at Emmanuel, right? So you're on your headset and you're talking to different people or you're, you're on social media and you're interacting on Instagram or whatever it may be. You have paths of travel every day just like Peter and John. So as they went about their business, Peter and John went somewhere. And the Holy Spirit is interested in the people in your path of travel. There are people in your daily that the Holy Spirit is interested in. The Holy Spirit is interested in those people. 
Let's go ahead. In verse number two, it says, As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So there's this crippled man from birth, lame, who was brought to a spot every single day that was in Peter and John's path of travel. They had seen him or walked by him. Maybe they didn't notice him all the time, but he was there. Let me just say this about people. Every person has a place that they're stuck in, a cycle. Some, somehow they're just in that regular rhythm. It's that person that you run into at the same time at Starbucks or in the grocery or wherever you go. And you keep bouncing. You don't know their name necessarily, but you bounce. This is the kind of guy. And he's crippled. That means his only source of income was to beg. He was to use his status of disability to gain money. That was the only way he could do it. There are some uh, theologians that as they look at the text, they think there's the possibility that he was potentially in human trafficked. That somehow because of his disability, that he was making money not only for himself, but for other people. And he was made to do that. You know, in the human course of history, there's been a lot of people that have used other people and they're stuck. Made to go to work, made to do certain things. On the far end of it, it's slavery. On a, it's human trafficking on the sex trafficking side of things. But then there's also things that are reality in parts of our world that just blows the mind. There are places in India where children, that's their job is to beg on the streets of Calcutta. And then if that's the family source of income and a child is born with good legs, they'll break the child's legs because that's their only way to make money. They're stuck in it. So this is what I want you to consider. This person that's sitting there, he, this is the only way he can make money. That's the only thought he has from morning to night and as people pass. He's not thinking about a life beyond that in that path of travel. And it says that he reaches out and he's looking to them. What does it say in verse number three? When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. It's pretty logical, right? He asked them for the only thing that he's there for. Now, Peter and John have to stop and to consider what they do have. Do they have any money? You know, many people, we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we don't have. Maybe too much. Maybe we think too much about what we don't have. And we need to pause and consider, no, God's been good to me. Your goodness and mercy are following all the days of my life. Maybe we need to think about those things. We need to write out a thankful list. It's not just something for Thanksgiving, friends. Come on now. But to have that in our life. You know, when you are thankful, you can't complain. You can't do those two things at the same time. So maybe we need to consider what we do have. In Peter John's case, they don't have any money. They don't have any money. What did he say? I don't, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have it. They looked in their pockets, what do I have? I don't have anything. <laughs> Empty, right? But they also have a choice. They have a choice of they're gonna give away what they do have because what they do have is in Acts chapter one, verse eight. 
you receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. We just read chapters one and chapter two. They now have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is mind-blowing. God is with them. They have that. But is it only for them or is it for someone else? And they have a choice if they're going to keep that in their pocket or if they're going to give it away. Is the God stuff you experience in here only for you or is it meant for others? Of course, the power of the name of Jesus isn't just for us. It's for others to experience. What does it say in the next verse? But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood in his feet, and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them, and all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. How in here goes out there, number three, keep speaking the name of Jesus. This is actually a really big moment because in the Gospels, Jesus did all the healing. Now, for the first time, we see it's still going on. Jesus is still healing people, but he's doing it through his followers. He's doing it through them. And as he does it, he's speaking, these Peter and John are speaking in the authority of Jesus' name. This man is healed, he's raised up, and it draws a crowd. This guy is going crazy. By the way, people respond when good things happen to them. Think about this moment. It's as if the Minnesota Vikings won the Super Bowl. Dream with me. What would you respond with, huh? You would go crazy, right? There's a response. That response draws a crowd. Healing draws a crowd. Peter steps up and he speaks to a crowd that is gathering because it's trending on social. People want to find out about it. And Peter speaks an honest, straightforward truth. This is what he says. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. How was it done? Through faith in the name of Jesus. This man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. People knew it. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you, what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. This is what he now says. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Peter says through the faith in the name of Jesus, this thing has happened, but it's not just for the man, it's for you. Faith in the name of Jesus is available for every person on the planet today. 
Faith in the name of Jesus is something that people need to hear about. People get confused about movements and organizations, and they can call out different things they want about the church and the evangelical church, and they've got all the aspects of it that they want to point at. But listen, don't conflate that with the name of Jesus, because the name of Jesus is powerful. And Peter begins to speak, and he knows that they're thinking about different things. They're thinking about what's going on in this moment. Who are you and what are you trying to do? Everybody has their different ideas about how they want to take advantage of this moment. So Peter says, listen, you need to understand this. There's only one way this thing happened. And it happened through the preaching and faith in the name of Jesus. You guys thought it was one thing, but I'm going to tell you it's another thing. And if you put your faith in Jesus, if you repent of your sins and turn to God, you know what repentance is? Repentance is I'm going this direction and I choose to turn and go another direction. He says, you're going to have to repent, but he doesn't just say you got to repent. You got to repent of your sins. This generation has been raised to believe that there's nothing wrong. I just made a mistake. You can be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, and it doesn't matter. Until somebody else does something that hurts you, then you want to cancel them. The truth is, all of us battle something called sin. It's there in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, and it starts and it corrupts everything about God's design for perfect life. Sin comes in and it corrupts the code of our very human existence. It has a way of unraveling marriages, of destroying human relationships, and destroying our image of ourselves to the point that we give up and we do whatever we want to do. And the result of that is continuous pain, cycles of separation and hurt and blame and finger pointing. Peter stands up and he says, listen, you want to get it right. You want peace on the inside. You want your life turned around like this lame man had his life turned around. Then you're going to have to say, I'm no longer going to follow my sin. I'm going to choose to turn and follow a different leader, a different master. And his name is Jesus. And if you turn and follow Jesus, then this is what happens. He wipes your sin away. And the good news of anyone who actually repents of their sin and turns to Jesus is you no longer have to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus did it for you. He wipes your sin away. And then it says this, when you do this, times of refreshment are on the way. Times of refreshment. I don't know if you've ever been super uh, lacking of water. You're dehydrated and you're outside and you've been outside for a long time. Maybe you've gone on a bike ride or a run and you need some, you need some liquid, you need some water. And somebody comes up with a nice cold water, glass of water, and you drink that thing. It is the best thing you've ever had in your life. It's refreshing. You know, the Bible also says that when we refresh others, we ourselves will be refreshed. That the, the kingdom of God is such a way that when we receive that refreshment, we can share that refreshment with others. We're in a very dry world. 
a world that is thirsty. And when you are refreshed, you can refresh your family. You can refresh your coworkers. You can refresh your friends. We can do that. And sometimes the only place you can get refreshment is from the Lord. You know, there are times over the years that I've told you that as a church on Saturdays, I will come in and I will walk the sanctuary and I'll walk up and down. I'll go in the balcony. Yesterday I was here walking the balcony in Spring Lake Park and walk on the floor. And I visualize in my mind every location of Emmanuel and their sanctuaries. I'm actually visualizing who's there and I'm praying. And there are times that, that I, I don't know. I have words to pray and I don't know what to do. And as I'm praying and I'm, 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 I'm walking, I, I, I just begin to talk to the Lord. And I'll sing out, I'll call out to God. And I don't care what anybody around me is doing. I'll go, Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus, there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name and i began to sing it out and when i'm singing it out are you with me right now church listen you can do this in your bedroom. You can do this while you're driving. You don't have to be a singer. You can, don't close your eyes while you're driving, but you can, you can sing it out to Jesus. And listen, there is something powerful that happens when you repent, even after you're following Jesus, you're consciously taking your thoughts captive and you're turning and you're following Jesus again. You're following after times of refreshment come with that. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. How in here goes out there. You speak the name of Jesus. Number four, you don't be afraid of resistance. Because as you move forward, there's going to be resistance. Let's keep going. Chapter four, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. This is the beginning of what we will see as cycles of persecution throughout the entire story in the book of Acts. Years and decades forward, God would move amongst the people of God. They would sing out and call out to the name of Jesus. He would do miracles, but then persecution would come on the other side. Resistance was there. 
You and I are going to have resistance from many different things in our life, personally, as a family, as a church, in the world that is around us. We have sources of resistance. We, we're our own resistance sometimes. We don't do the thing we want to do or should do. I love what it says in James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. We're our own enemies sometimes. That resistance comes internally. But then there's also a spiritual enemy. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, sometimes we just need to recognize the problem is not your husband. It's not your boss. It's not the friend. It's not the Republicans or the Democrats. That's why everybody else wants to get in. No, 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 no. We are facing resistance in the high places. And when we face it and we see the people, we need to recognize, oh, I need to go over their head because this battle can't be fought in an argument. This can't be won or changed. You're not gonna change somebody else by telling them they're wrong. You're gonna have to go over the head and begin to pray and believe and do warfare in a different realm. There's also just the world in general. You know, as a, as a resistance, the world that's not following Jesus is kind of moved and swayed by everything going on around. And we can get caught up in that. We can have resistance because as they swing one way or the other on social issues and different things, when they're on one end, they might look at the church and look at you and go, you guys are bigots, you're losers, you're whatever. And they begin to look differently at you and it can feel like the resistance is the world around us. But again, just listen to me. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We need to recognize that we are not called to fight the way the world fights. And every time we got a hater, we don't need to become a hater. Come on, somebody. We got to be the people that God has designed us to be. Persecution is not a bad thing. God allows it to happen in the New Testament church. And the more the persecution, the more the church grows. Verse 4 says that the believers' numbers grew to 5,000 men. That meant families. It could have been 15,000 people if you add the their rest of their family to that number. Resistance produces something in the church. It grows the church. James says this in James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You're telling me there's a chance. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Let me just say this about that particular text. When you see resistance, when things are hard, when it's difficult, see it as an opportunity for growth. Not just growth for you, but growth for your family, growth for the church. Think about it. New Testament grows, the church grows, because of the resistance. We are called in a manual, our, our mission statement is, for everyone to know Jesus, to grow together, and to live with purpose. 
So what if we all together looked at the obstacles we have and the resistance and the pain and the struggle as an opportunity to grow together instead of a reason to moan and whine and become victims? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are not a victim. You are not a victim. No, we're going to grow through this together. Now, the religious leaders were threatened, and they brought Peter and John before the council or the Sanhedrin. And Peter then has to give another account of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He preaches Jesus. And there's a pivotal verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 that I'd love for you to memorize. Circle it in your paper Bibles, highlight it in your electronic version. It says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's only one name. Not all roads lead to the same place. There is only one way, truth and life, and his name is Jesus. That is the hope. People are chasing all kinds of different movements and following different mantras, and they're even circling back and trying to say, well, the church isn't real, and they're trying to dismantle all of history in the process. But it's all still gonna come back to one truth, and it's Jesus who came to the earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He rose from the dead and he is alive. There's only one authoritative name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's only one name. And that's the name that made Peter and John look so different that the rest of the Sanhedrin stood up and took notice. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had what? Been with Jesus. Now, there's a practical dimension to this. That yes, they were actually physically with Jesus and maybe they were recognized because they were with Jesus. But Jesus is gone now. It wasn't just that they were with Jesus. Now they're going, oh my goodness, they're just like Jesus. See, there's a difference between being around and guilty by association. And when you're not with somebody, people go, oh, you're a lot like him. Now, some of you know that Jody and I have four sons and they've all grown up now. But when they were younger and Jody would have them, she'd be going to the mall or we had double stroller era in our life and she'd be around and people would stop my wife and say, do you have any DNA? Your sons look just like their dad. <laughs> and they had distinctive features. Now they've grown up and they've all kind of taken on their own look. This is my point to what I'm talking about right now. When you have a regular rhythm of prayer where you're with Jesus all the time, it's not your education that is going to make people notice. It's not your theology and your perfection and your perfect person. No, it's the fact that you've been with Jesus. People are going to look at you and they're going to go, something's different about her. He's a little bit different. They're just like Jesus. They were told to stop preaching in Jesus' name. They wanted to take that out of, go ahead and talk. Just don't talk in Jesus' name. 
Take Jesus out of it. We don't want to submit to that name. We don't want what his name tells us to do. We don't want to come underneath his authority. Take that name out and keep moving. And Peter and John are like, no. Verse 20, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than, what, 40 years. Nobody could argue with this experience. You know, people can get in a logical argument with, with you, but a person with an argument never wins a battle with a person with an experience. When you have an experience with Jesus, you don't have to have all your argument down. You just know he's real. I've been changed. Even if you haven't been living for him, maybe you need to get back and repent. But you know he's real. Even when people are trying to destroy the word of God and trying to dismantle the word, you know the word is real. It's living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So they were mad. It's not like, whoop, story's over. No more resistance. No, it gets worse. How in here gets out there? The final one is this, number five. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. So what do you do when outsiders aren't happy with the church? What do you do when people don't like what's going on in your world? Well, let me tell you what the New Testament church did. They took it to the Lord. Look at the, the, the prayer that they began to pray out to the Lord. Verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in what? Prayer to God. They took it to the Lord. And by the way, if you read through there, they quote from Psalm 2. If you read the whole chapter of Psalm 2, it goes all the way back. The whole world, why do the nations rage? Why are they mad at God? Why are they shaking their angry fists? They wanna break the chains of control from heaven, it says there in Psalm 2. You know what, the world does not wanna follow God's rule and reign. The spirit of the enemy does not wanna follow God's rule and reign. Why are they doing that? So they prayed that out to the Lord. There's chaos going on in our land, Lord. Society's falling apart, Lord. What do they do with it? They get on social media and post something about it. They sit and whine and complain about it with their friends over coffee. They sit and watch some talk show or listen to a podcast and just talk about how the other side is bad. No, 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 that's not what the New Testament church did. The New Testament church took their prayer to the Lord. They said, this is what your word says, Lord. And then they began to tell the Lord the obstacles, verse 27. In fact, this is what they're praying. This has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, the, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all unified against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. He names all the enemies, all the people that are in the way. Listen, you can talk about whoever you want to talk about when you talk about it to the Lord. When you take it there, how many know? He can filter out your own heart. But when you open your mouth up and you share it with somebody else, you become a gossip. And you don't change a thing. You want to change the world? Take it to the Lord. 
Don't you just whine and talk behind your spouse's back, talk behind other people's back. No, take it to the Lord. You can pray about the obstacles in your life and submit them like a student does to the teacher. Lord, here it is. This is what they prayed. And now, oh Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with what? Boldness. This is what you're going to see in all the rest of the book of Acts. You're going to see people die, families separated. You're going to see ultimate persecution. And they didn't pray, Lord, take the persecution away. Lord, I'm uncomfortable. Lord, I don't like this. They didn't pray to have their wounds tended to. It's okay, baby. You're okay. They didn't want to be burped um, on daddy's chest. No, what they did is they said, Lord, in the middle, when the fire goes up, increase my boldness. Help me be more strong. I got, I got weak knees. I'm too weak. I need to be stronger in the fight. Help me get stronger in the middle of this battle I'm facing. Help me not to lose my soul because I lost my job. Help me to get stronger in the middle. Listen, saints of old for thousands of years who have trusted the Lord. They've had, as Hebrews chapter 11 talks about, they've had their bodies cut apart. They've been crucified. They've lost everything, but they got stronger in the middle of it. Because in the middle of it, the church says, Lord, make me bolder. In fact, in the middle of the prayer, they say, Lord, bring on, stretch out your hand and heal the sick. This healing the sick caused them problems. Healing the lame man created persecution. So what do they pray? Don't, don't heal anybody else, Lord. This causes some problems. No, they said, Lord, heal some more. Bring it on. Devil, if you think you can knock me out by causing me a little bit of discomfort, you got another thing coming because the Holy Spirit has filled me up and he's given me the same boldness that Jesus had that took him all the way to the cross. Come on, somebody. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink away from death. Ha! I'm believing for a church in Emmanuel, for you and for me to grow in our boldness, to seek God, to make us stronger in our resistance, that we might be everything he wants us to be to the world around us. So then they look at us as we go through all of the tri tribulations that they're going through. The economy's falling apart for us, just like it's falling apart for them. As they go through their health issues, as they go through their challenges, and they look at us and go, how can you be peaceful when my life is falling apart? And then you can step up like Peter and say, ah, his name is Jesus. He saved my soul. He's helping me all the way. Come on, somebody, would you stand with me? Come on. How is what's in here gonna go out there? It starts with regular rhythms of prayer. 
It's realizing that God's stuff happens in your path of travel. It's keeping, keep speaking the name of Jesus, not being afraid of resistance and praying for boldness. Each of our locations, we're gonna worship here in a moment together. And again, worship is your prayer. It's not Christian karaoke. It's your opportunity to actually take what we're talking about and actually talk to God about it. But when we do, we're gonna pray God makes us stronger. This week, there's some weak amongst us. Jesus says, when you're weak, I'll make you strong. If you're feeling weak this week, I want you to feel, feel the strength of the Lord fill your soul today. Holy Spirit, fill people today. If you're needing healing physically, we're praying that God would stretch out his hand to heal the sick amongst us. Each of our locations while we're singing, I encourage you, if you need to be healed physically in your body, step out into the aisles or come to the front. You don't need anybody to lay hands on you yet. Just say, Lord, heal me. Even while we're, while we're singing, you just, just, you just do it. You just go, I'm gonna believe it for that. I'm gonna believe for healing in our church. I'm gonna believe for God to do things and put broken things back together again. We had communion. When we do communion, we talk about the broken body of Jesus. He takes broken things and he puts them back together again. Listen, Humpty Dumpty's coming back together again today. There's broken things that are gonna come back together again. We're gonna believe for it. Just lift up your hands to heaven right now. Father, we come before you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are able. Ha! You are able. You're not biting your nails in 2022. You are fully in control. You know what's going on. We lean into heaven today. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on this church, on these, your people. And Lord, you would make us stronger in you. The Lord, as we call upon the name of Jesus, times of refreshment would come. That there would be, Lord, a renewal of, Lord, the true kingdom of God in our souls. And we pray, oh God, that as we, Lord, do this, it would flow out into tomorrow. It would flow into our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays and our Thursdays and our Fridays into our path of travel. And you would set us up, Lord, with people like the lame man in this story. People, Lord, that need you. They're looking for one thing, but they need you. Would you use your church, Lord, to be the living representative of the power of God in this generation, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.